Well, thank you, uh, opening team. That was great. Um, I have a connection problem. Oh, well. I see him off the network. Just a minute. BFA. This is this is an attempt at wirelessly connecting, and uh, it was going smoothly until it kicked me off here. But it's great to have uh, Jeff and Carmen and Joel uh, helping us out. We uh, appreciated that uh, that uh, music and the others who were helping there as well. I may have to go and get my wired connecting. I'll give it a second. But we got just a little bit of more prayer. And uh, there it goes. Wade, do good job. You did a good job with those slides this morning. They're a challenging job. It's uh, hard to do. For those who are visiting, we are doing a series of uh, topics. Its title is Believe. And we've been looking at what we believe. And now we're into this section on what difference our beliefs make and how we act. And then we're going to go on and, and talk about how our beliefs make us different as people. But the, this morning, we are are in the topic of uh, giving my resources. The last song that we uh, sang was All I Am is Yours. But it's, and we could make that a uh, little bit of a change. All I Have is Yours uh, would fit very well in this topic. But to surrender our hearts to the Lord is what really is the important part of this message about giving my resources. Uh, a number of weeks ago, Steve Asawa took us through stewardship, uh, which is a really uh, a broader vi- vision of this whole topic on everything that we have is God's and uh, we need to uh, dedicate it to him and to his purposes. But this morning we're focusing in on these resources that we usually think about as monetary resources. So the things that we have, the things that God has given us and how are we going to use them for his purposes. Let's bow in prayer at this moment. Father, we do pray that you would take us uh, through your word and help us to understand uh, what, we, what you want us to do uh, with what you have given us. We pray that what we have may be offered to you in sincerity and with full love and devotion to you. And we pray that you would take our offerings and use them for your purposes. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand uh, more of this topic uh, and uh, be challenged by it and uh, re- recognize that as we've been thinking, all that we have is yours, all that I am is yours. May that be our heart's desire and our heart's commitment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of the most recognizable characters in English literature, at least in this, wor- in this part of the world, and you will all recognize Ebenezer Scrooge, because we hear about him every Christmas time, right? He's a feature um, character in our, in our Christmas celebrations. Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol in the 1840s uh, in response to what he saw was this extreme poverty of the people. And, uh, and what uh, he could do about that was to write this, this story to try and change people's uh, opinions and behavior. Well, you all know that Ebenezer was the rich man, uh, a miser though. He was stingy, he was greedy, he hoarded his wealth, he was wretched. 
He was unhappy. He was lonely. He was joyless. He didn't care and he was selfish. He refused to give anything to anyone. He wouldn't even buy coal for the heater for his office. So the question is, why did he become that way? What turned him to that, that uh, type of person? In the story, we remember that Ebenezer, that Christmas Eve, goes home and is visited by three visions of his past, his present, and what his future might be if he didn't change. And that was enough for Ebenezer to have a change of heart. And uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about Ebenezer in the next little while. But we wonder why he became that way is because he started to think of his wealth as something that he could hoard and control and keep for himself and that that would somehow fulfill his life. But obviously, it didn't do much. So what about wealth? Is it, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is it a blessing? Now, you'll recognize this character from some of your uh, past as well. It's a little dark up on the screen, but this was the, the lead of Fiddler on the Roof. And he sings a wonderful song, If I Were a Rich Man. And, uh, you know, you, can, you may know the song very well, but it's, it's a, a, a longing for what we conceive would be life if we were wealthy. And it's a, he sings a lot about silly things. And I like one of the ones is he's going to have stairways going up and a longer one coming down. And then a stairway that just doesn't go anywhere just for show. And when you... When you go into some places and some homes and some uh, opulent settings, you kind of think this is what they did. They built this just for show. And uh, But if you were wealthy, that would be some of the silly things you could do with, it, with what you were given. There was a little more serious thought in his song, too. He said, well, maybe I would have more time to study, study his beliefs and discuss it with the other people around us. That's a pretty worthy thing to do, you know. So wealth does allow us to do some of that thing. We're not scratching every moment to just to make a survival. If we had some means, we can do some of these things and we've been blessed with that. But does wealth bring happiness? I guess in the good Jewish uh, uh, um, uh, tradition here of, of Fiddler on the Roof, it depends. You know, it depends. We have an example in scriptures of a very wealthy man, and this is a, supposed to be an image of King Solomon. And he wrote something in, 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 we believe it was him that was writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, at least it fits very well with his life. And he wrote these words, I amass silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. So amassing wealth, Solomon says, doesn't really get you anywhere. Not that it's bad in itself, but it just leaves you kind of empty. There's no purpose to it when you come to the end. And Solomon looked and he said, you know, I've made all this, but now I'm going to leave it all behind and somebody else is going to get the results of all my work. And he says, that just doesn't make any sense. You know, why struggle for all this just to leave it all behind? Jesus told the story of a man who, who had a similar experience. He's a parable of this farmer who planted crops, harvested a tremendous abundance of, of uh, food from his crops. He said, what should I do? 
well, I know what I'll do. I'll build some bigger barns and I'll put all the stuff that we, I have in those barns and then I'll be secure and I'll have happy and I'll lay, I've laid up good things for many years. I can take it easy, eat, drink and be merry. And then God had a part to play in this. He said, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? It's pretty sobering, and that's what Solomon's thought, that all of these things that we do to accumulate wealth, they, they have no point in the end. And, and uh, at the end of the parable, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. So if we just focus on ourselves and store up for ourselves, we look like we're going to have a meaningless at least existence. We may even become Ebenezer-like and become stingy, Scrooge-like. But for those who are rich toward God, there might be a different outcome for the money, for the resources that we, that we accumulate or that we have blessed, are blessed with. Wealth can turn our hearts cold and away from God, similar to what Ebenezer's life was like. A man came to Jesus, a, a rich man, didn't even have to sing the song if I were a rich man. He was a rich man. And he came up and said to Jesus, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Isn't that a tremendously sad verse? He went away sad. Jesus was touching the area of life which was keeping this man from following him. And that was his wealth. He was becoming Ebenezer-like. He wanted to collect all of this stuff and he wanted to keep it. He wanted also to collect eternal life. He wanted to add that to his collection. Jesus said, there's something keeping you from that and that's your heart. It's not following me. And your heart is wrapped up in your, your possessions. Give away those possessions. Then your heart will be able to follow me. There's a... Um, verse that I find tremendously sobering at the end of Luke chapter 12. And it's this one. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Money isn't evil because God blesses people, some people with it. Others he chooses not to give that much to. But those who have it, they've been entrusted by it by God. And God says that if we've been given much, much will be demanded of us. What did we do with it? Remember the people that, the, the, that received the talents from their master? Some got five, some got two, some got one. And they were entrusted with that money. And some went off and used it well. But one decided just to hoard it, keep it, and not use it. And the, and the master was very displeased with that. 
Now, I, I find this verse sobering because looking around our room here, not one of us has been entrusted with little. Every one of us has been entrusted with much, especially when we compare ourselves to the world around us. And we certainly have been given much. Last week, Ted talked about time. That we've all been given the same amount of. But this one is certainly, there's a discrepancy. It might even seem to be unfair. I don't know why that some people are wealthy and some people are poor. But there's a difference. But the ones who are, have much, God is saying, you need to do with that something that's uh, worthwhile, something that's going to bring glory and honor to me, something that's going to fulfill my purposes. And that's in a sobering verse because we have so much and we're going to be one of those people that he said, okay, you've had much, so what have you got to show for it? And that to me is a very sobering uh, verse because of where we happen to be born. We were born in this land of wealth. It's a good lesson to choose your parents well because (laughs) it will make a difference in your life. So how can we do better? How should we be using what God has given us? How can our wealth bring joy and happiness and not despair and stinginess? What advice has God given us? I'd like to look at, uh, for the rest of this time, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he spoke to the Corinthians about how they should deal with what they had and what they could be using it for. And I think there's some good advice in, that, uh, in that, those chapters on, and, on giving that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Just a little background. That's a map of the area. And Corinth, of course, down here. It was right on this little peninsula here. And uh, the ships that used to be going up to Rome and back down to this part of the world would would often cut across, they didn't want to go around this part, so they would put their supplies here, then they would be transported the four kilometers or whatever it is across that isthmus, and another ship would pick it up and take it on from there. So it put Corinth at the middle of a, of a fairly busy trade line, trade zone. It became the capital of this province uh, called Achaia, and uh, was thought to be fairly well off. It was materialistic, there were quite a bit of problems with materialism and the, and the vices that went along with that. And uh, that was the situation in Corinth. Not quite so different from us, you know, a, a, a people that have stuff, that have been blessed with stuff. And what are they going to do with it? Now, in contrast, Paul talks about in these letters, in these chapters, these churches up here in Macedonia, the churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Now, We read about those in Acts and how the gospel came there and how it made a difference to the lives of people there. But something tragic has happened in the meantime with these churches and they've they've become destitute. They're nothing. They've got, they've suffering extreme poverty. For some reason, I'm not sure why. Corinth still has some stuff. But down, way down here in Jerusalem, the saints are even having a tougher time. And, And in the dealings with these churches, Paul has suggested that these people here who have been blessed by the gospel might want to send a a gift to the the believers in Jerusalem to support them in their trouble. Uh, So Corinth said, we'll do that. The Corinthians said, we'll we'll get on board with that. We'll send some money. These people didn't have much. But all of a sudden, they got the idea that we want to send money too. But they didn't have any money. But they said, we're going to send it anyway. Please let us send something. 
And they collected some offering. In the meantime, these people were a bit slow. They didn't. They said, we're going to do it. But, you know, like, yeah, I pledged it. You're right. You know, I already did that, right? But they hadn't really opened the wallets yet. And that's where they were stuck at. So let's just uh, read a few verses about this in 2 Corinthians. Um, the first lesson that I wanted to highlight is that giving is a privilege and that the people in Macedonia were pleading for the privilege of helping the relief of these poor Christians. If you follow along, I'm reading out of the message, but here's the first uh, five verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and saw it myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purpose of God working in their lives. And then the verse that I have highlighted, they gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they can afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. That's a totally uh, uh, backwards picture of what we normally see. These four poor people pleading for a, to take part in the privilege of helping other people. It makes me think that you know poverty is not such a bad thing as far as what it does to our, our person. And riches may be worse in a, in a sense. So we're blessed by riches, but really is that the blessing? We had a, the tremendous privilege of uh, spending some weeks in Africa the last month. And um, people there, desperately poor. This is a, a home we just stopped by to chat with some of the people. The Democratic Republic of Congo is where we were. If you put your finger right on the center of the continent, that's about where we were in Africa. If you read uh, some of the list of poorest countries in the world, it, it kind of fluctuates a little bit depending on the numbers. But if it's not the poorest, it ranks in the second, third, or fourth poorest country in the world. And this particular part of the Democratic Republic of Congo is, is poorer than most of the country, <laughs> if that gives you a, a picture. So it's already the poorest country in the world and these people are the poorest of the poorest country in the world, I think. I haven't been to the whole country, but this is pretty desperate. And yet, they are often happy. You can see these, these folks, look they don't look sad. They are often open to visiting and to chatting. And they have a testimony of God at work in their communities, in their lives, which would probably put a lot of our communities to shame. And so that's a bit like the Macedonian churches. They, they were doing well because their heart was in the right place. They knew that God had a purpose for them and they wanted to be used by him. And whatever he had given them, they were going to make available for them. We enjoyed visiting with these people. We enjoyed eating in their homes. This was a family that we spent some time with. They had us over 
for a dinner. It was just getting dark. The pictures get darker from there. They, they didn't have much, but they offered their home and they, they fed us a meal. And it was a tremendous time of sharing. We sang Swahili hymns and we prayed and we sang and visited with this elderly couple and their extended family. In a thatched roof with, with some, some plaster on the walls, but mostly a mud thatch uh, construction. So they were sharing their food with us. We, we don't need any extra food, but uh, here they are sharing it with us. Now, Joe, that blue button on the right or on your left, slide it up there. And we'll see if this this is uh, sharing their worship service. I just want to give you a little bit of flavor of uh, of uh, what their worship service. Is. We're going to try seeing if the audio comes through here. Oops, sorry. Let me just go back to that didn't work. Joe, we got the right audio here, but we I missed up on the on the video. We'll try that again. Alright, now come on video. Oh yeah, for sure. Those people are suffering from their poverty. They're really depressed and downcast, right? No, they have as much joy or more joy in their expression and their worship than, than, uh, than we can sometimes muster up. And the praise band did a great job of it. And, but yeah, that you can't beat those drums, Dave. I mean, those are... Um, but it's... You know, it's, it's the, they were worshiping. They were sharing their joy. We got a warm welcome. We got a, they, they took an offering, um, just like we do, and people came up and gave with their money. I, I didn't catch the picture, and I, and I felt a little bit like I shouldn't probably, but there was this, they have a person come up and hold a, a, a basket up for people to come who want to give an offering, and they put their offering into that basket. But uh, Some people made their way up and gave the money, but then towards the end of the offering time, a, a lady with a, a cane or a staff, elderly lady, just walked slowly up and put something in the basket. It made me think of, of Jesus' story in Mark 12 where he was watching the people give their gifts and, and then a widow came up and put in two mites and um, practically nothing in terms of money. But Jesus commended her because these other people had been putting in their biggest amounts, but obviously not in the same way that this widow did because she put in pretty much all that she had. And uh, that's what you felt like here at watching these people worship. It's quite, it's quite humbling. But it does give you an idea of their, their, uh, their joy in worship as well. So the next bit of advice that Paul uh, gives to the Corinthians, I think, is make giving an equal priority in your Christian life. You know, we talk about you know, all the things we do. We, we like to study the Bible. We like to, uh, uh, to worship together. 
we uh, do all these things. And the Corinthians love to, to talk about their spiritual gifts and what they've been gifted at. But Paul mentions that this is a, an equal priority. Giving is a spiritual gift. And he says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This is something not to be neglected. It's as important as any other part of our Christian life. The other thing, that, the next thing Paul mentions is that it's, it's to follow the example of Christ. To be Christ-like is to give. And in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 8, he says, You are familiar with the generosity of our Master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. This echoes the, the verses in Philippians, being found in appearance like a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That is death on a cross. Jesus Christ gave up his position in glory to come down to the squalor of this planet. Our trip to Africa was nothing compared to his trip from glory to earth. He gave it all up so that he could come and live among us, demonstrate what a perfect life should be like, and then to die in a, in a very horrible way so that we could, have, we could experience the spiritual riches that are, are his if we trust and believe in him. He was motivated by his love for us. And that we should emulate. We need to be motivated by our love for him and for others. And we show that when we commit ourselves to giving to others and giving to him. We are showing commitment to his great commandments that we love God and that we love others as ourselves. The next bit of advice is follow through with your good intentions. So here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started. Remember we said that they were quick to, to start the gifting process, but they were kind of slow to complete it. What you started last year, not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish it up, so go on, go, so go to it. Once the commitment is clear, you do what you can, not what you can't. So follow through and, uh, and keep, your, keep your pledges. Your heart, Paul mentions, needs to be in the right place, but if it's in the right places, then follow along. And you, he mentions here, you do what you can. So the people in Macedonia were doing what they could, even though they thought that Paul thought they were doing more than they should. But if you've got it, you can give it. So do what you can. Here's an important point I think uh, to mention is that Paul says to give thoughtfully. I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. This is an important point, I think, to remember that we need to think about our giving. It's not just a spontaneous, oh, let's open my wallet and drop something in, but we need to ponder and think and have a plan for what we're going to do with our possessions. We have a lot of possessions. It's important to plan them. So give thoughtfully. Think about it. And don't be pressured by that last picture down there, the guy uh, 
selling you his story. Even in Africa, we experienced a little bit of this sort of arm twisting. One of the services we went to was a different one. And the, the fellow was up talking about the offering, and he was talking about, well, we need a sound system. You know, like, why do you need a sound system? You're in the, you know, anyway, but, you know, they like to have what, what we like to have, good things. But they were talking about uh, staying in the, we're going to lock the doors until you give some money for this. <laughs> and I felt like, oh, well, they're really taking a page out of the Western uh, way of doing things here. So let's, uh, you stick, stick to the African ways. It sounds, it sounds better. But, um, but it's, so it's, it's just our nature. But, so there is arm twisting. But we need to think about what we, need, what we need to do. Remember, our motive for giving is love. And we need, to make cheerful, we need to be cheerful givers like the Macedonians. Now, when we're thinking about giving, you know, how much do we give? question that's answered, the tithe comes up and uh, people say 10%. Well, that was a, a, the law, but that nowhere really describes what's in the heart. The widow who gave her two mites gave it all, and that was commended. She gave what uh, she what she could. Um, Jesus asked the rich, rich among young men to give it all. Paul's not asking us here to to give it all. He says, think about what you can give and what you can do. He knows that if to live in Corinth or in live in Timmins, you need a house. You need some place that you, where you can be warm and sheltered. You can't go without any possessions. And even Jesus and his disciples had a bag and a purse where they carried around some of the funds that they, they needed to survive. But the, the rich man was told to give it all because his heart, his possessions were preventing his heart from following Jesus. If that's the case, then get rid of that, whatever keeps you from following Jesus. But Paul's advice is think carefully about what you can give and then be generous. Give thoughtfully and, uh, and, and take a risk on being generous. God can pour on blessings in, in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. I like that reckless abandon, you know, that God can give our blessings to us so that we can meet other people's needs. He gives recklessly in the sense that he doesn't count the cost, he just goes ahead and does it, it's, it's just so forthcoming. And finally, just what are the benefits that we have if we are giving? Um, and this is in chapter 9 of Second Corinthians. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of, this, of, this, of, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Bottom line is our giving results in praise to God. And uh, God is praised and honored. Those who are helped thank God. The givers will be blessed because of their their hearts will be found to be in the right place. They can be uh, confident that they're following the message of the gospel where new and real life is promised for those who follow Jesus. Those in need will be helped. They will, they will get uh, relief from their suffering. And then they will in turn pray for those who gave. And so it's a big circle of, uh, of blessings that come from the results result from giving. The ultimate gift again 
was that indescribable, beyond words, beyond our thoughts, gift of Jesus himself given to us. And we follow his example of giving of himself for our benefit because of his love for us. We return to him what he has given us out of our love for him and our love for others. So the end of the uh, Christmas carol, Ebenezer has a change of heart. He began as a miser. But when, he's a, when he realizes his life is going to end in meaningless nothingness and, and of no purpose, he has a transformation in his life. He heard the message of Christmas, the message that God gave his son, that God gave his son that we might have life. And that changed Ebenezer's heart and he woke up the next morning, Merry Christmas! You know, this is God's gift. And he started to give to people. He gave to his, his uh, employer and he gave to this boy who was suffering an ailment and, uh, and he expressed joy. And it's just a tremendous scene at the end of the Christmas carol where Ebenezer doesn't care what people think about him. Think he's crazy now. He doesn't care. He's happy. He's giving and he's following the message of Christmas, which is God giving to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to use what you've given us to bring blessings to others, to bless you, to honor you, to enjoy it because that brings uh, joy to us to be able to give back to you. So help us to understand that message and help us to recognize it uh, as your plan and your purpose for all that you've blessed us with. May you give us the grace that we need to experience this gift of giving. In Jesus' name, amen.